So this portion, everything on, is recorded. And of course, when we are done with this PowerPoint, I usually stop um, recording so people could talk freely without feeling the pressure. Oh, it's recorded. It's on sermon audio. All these people listen to your questions and concerns, that kind of thing. Okay. So in this session, I want to look at four points to t think of about evil and the problem of atheism. And yeah, I phrase this evil and the problem of atheism because you often hear in philosophy about how the problem, um, God and the problem of evil, okay? God and the problem of evil, how evil presents a problem against God or against Christianity. But I actually think um, when we think further, the problem of evil or the existence of evil pose big, tremendous philosophical challenges. Um, and most people think it's a challenge towards Christianity, but I think it poses great, great problems to a lot of different worldviews or seemingly problematic but I think as we go even further, I actually think the most problematic thing that evil possess, uh, pose against any worldview is actually the atheist worldview. The most um, destruction that evil actually pose, I actually think, is actually with, um, with atheism as a worldview more than any other worldviews. And again, there are others that pose. But I think when we look at this in this bigger perspective, I think it puts, at least for me, Philosophically, the, even the challenges of the issue and dilemma of evil within a Christian worldview. Um, I might not be able to answer everything tonight, but I want to present tonight something that's often not often the way in most popular evangelical um, apologetics to approach. The usual approach is a free will argument um, or modifying some of these attributes of God in a way that I think... <coughs> Sometimes it could be suspect or even the attribute of God is no longer biblical. But I want to actually pose and say, could atheism make sense of even the problem of evil within their own worldview? Is it even intelligible or meaningful to even talk about it in a way that mounts a challenge towards Christianity and other theistic worldviews? Okay, so let's go to the next slide. So that's our purpose. And these are our four points. These are our four points for tonight, okay? Um, Rebecca, Abigail, whenever you guys want to look at PowerPoint, you guys could also come over. But remember, not interfere with covering the screen, okay? So these are our four points. Number one is all worldviews have the burden of proof of explaining how evil exists, okay? I want to begin with this first one to say it's not only Christianity, but all worldviews. And what I mean by worldviews is a system of beliefs that is your core beliefs of any individual. That you, what you believe is ultimate reality is what we call worldviews. All worldviews, including different religions, Christianity, and other isms, okay, atheisms and other isms, philosophical ideologies, um, have the burden of proof of explaining how evil exists. That's point number one. Point number two is we're going to see evil and the problem of atheism. Evil and the problem of atheism. Point number three, we're going to see if God is a basis for determining good and evil, then there is no problem with evil, okay? Um, if God is the basis for determining good and evil, then there is no problem of evil. And let me say what I mean by that is actually there is not a coherent problem of evil within what I mean the, within the theistic system itself. I will now actually argue specifically in the Christian system, okay? And number four, I want to also point out, building upon verses uh, point three, God uses evil to bring about good. Now, these four points, um, some of you guys have been with me on Thursday night Bible studies, where in the past, probably about five, six years ago, I went over like a, I think almost a eight week series on the problem of evil. Each one of these things could be unpacked far further um, 
But tonight, of these four points, I'm actually going to focus the most on point number two. Uh, point number one and number two. Actually, point number two the most and number one. Just because I think these are things that are less talked about than these other points. Um, unless you're presuppositionalist. But presuppositional apologetics is a minority among the various schools of apologetics. So I want to talk about this just because I think it's not always seen as intuitive. Um, and therefore, I think it's worthy of merit of our focus and our time with that. Okay, so let's go on um, with our first point. And I want to point out what point number one is this, that all worldviews, that all worldviews actually has to talk about even about the origin of evil. Okay, by the way, let me say this real quick. Some of you guys perhaps have seen me gone over this and if you've been with us before. I don't know if I went over this recently. Um, I don't think so. But this is um, heavily modified from the last time. I think the way I've arranged this and organized this is a little bit more improved from the last time uh, I've taught this. Okay, um, So let's go over the first point. All worldviews have the burden of proof of explaining how evil exists. Okay, I want to begin by saying this. Um, some people's way of explaining the problem of evil is by simply saying there's no evil. I don't think that is satisfying. Um, both within... The Christian worldview or even human experience okay human experience there is the facing of we do see evil in the news and perhaps we also actually we do experience evil that um, is perpetrated by others against people including ourselves okay so a major presupposition when we talk about the philosophical problem of evil is that evil must exist right uh, I'm going to read real quick Greg Bonson, um, uh, and I don't think this is in the PowerPoint yet, okay, but a Christ, there's a Christian apologist named Greg Bonson. He's probably the guy that influenced me the most in terms of my apologetics method. Um, in his book, Always Ready, he says this, It should be obvious upon reflection that there can be no problem of evil to press upon Christian believers unless one can legitimately assert the existence of evil in this world, okay? Um, from this, we need to realize that, what? Evil, in order to talk about it, evil must really exist. But then we have to ask, wh what someone calls evil might be person variable. That someone would say, oh, that's a good thing. And someone else would say, no, that's a bad thing. And there might be even a clash of even what one would say constitute evil. So worldviews matter because you bring your ethical system. You remember the last few weeks we've been stressing so much that triangle that I've been drawing and, and also not only the triangle but even the picture of that circuit uh, like there's almost been every PowerPoint presentation since we've been talking about worldviews. Why is because I want to drive the point home we don't ever look at facts in a vacuum. Um, I bring my Christian presupposition but I think it makes sense of the world but in another worldview it already self-destructs and we need to point that out. Um, the problem of those worldview, right? So with this, now we want to go with this, is we remember we must interpret the world according to our worldview. So then we ask the question, what is evil in the biblical worldview? And I think for the biblical worldview, is anything that goes against what God has revealed in His Word, in conscience and also the Word, right? Thou shalt not murder, etc. But a non-believer, of course, a various stripe, might have a particular, also have a burden of proof here also as well. Because when they say something's evil, then we ask, okay, According to what standard? 
Why do you say? What basis do you say something's evil? Okay. And I'm going to now read from, this is another quote from Greg Bonson. In order to use the argument from evil against a Christian worldview, he must first be able to show his judgment about the existence of evil are meaningless. Okay. Or another way of saying it is also intelligible. Okay. And I would actually say this, if you cannot even make it sense of this, or if there's other beliefs you believe about reality undermines or self-refutes it, or is a, uh, it's a, self uh, it is um, a self-defeater of this, then you have a bigger problem to even talk about evil in the first place because you have no justification or basis to call something evil, okay? So we need to make sure this is very clear front and center, okay? So let's go to the next slide. Um, so I want some further clarity about this, okay? Uh, what does this not mean is I'm not saying, um, when we talk about evil, we're not just saying something, usually when we talk about evil, we're not saying something that's inconvenient or unpleasant or contrary to one's desire, okay? It's not a case of saying, I don't like this or that, right? Um, we, when we talk about the problem of evil, let's just say we have our kids eat broccolis. Rebecca, Abigail, Hannah, do you guys like broccolis? No. Do you guys like couscous? Okay. No. Um, and then that's not an evil, right? You might not like it, but when we talk about uh, evil, we're talking about things that involve moral categories, Okay. The burden of proof, let me restate this as a question, is this. What philosophy of value or morality can a non-believer offer which will render it meaningful to condemn some atrocity as objectively evil? Okay, this is quoting from Greg Bonson in his book, Always Ready, which I recommend as an apologetics book, okay? So good and evil is an issue by the way of value. Therefore, the issue uh, is about value theory. And remember what we went over last week. You guys remember I argued that if we do not have God, then actually morality and ethics is actually meaningless and unintelligible. So this is building upon this, but now with the application of the problem of evil. Okay, It's ultimately a question of whether there is coherence within an unbeliever worldview. What I mean by coherence is saying, is it able to be in such a way that it all fits together? Or is actually, it's like it, our belief system is like a puzzle piece. Each belief we have is like a puzzle piece. Do it fit together? Or are they actually different system and incompatible? Okay. We're asking for a person to provide a worldview explanation that makes the issue of evil intelligible and meaningful. We're asking this question since the discussion of problem evil is a clash worldview and reevaluating the problem evil from our presupposition, not a position of vacuum divorce from our worldview. Um, let's go on to the next slide. Let me make this more tangible. Um, like I said, every worldview have the burden of proof of explaining evil how does why does evil exist okay um this is true not only for christianity but even also as well with other religion like hinduism and buddhism again and atheism again my purpose mainly is not to bash but i think we have to say even put this i think in context um i actually think some of the challenges against christianity with the problem of evil i actually think is to me less problematic when i understand just how much of a problem this is for other worldview in a way, not only a problem that at first glance seems incompatible, but I would actually say even undermines, even talking about the meaningfulness of evil or intelligibleness of talking about evil is undermined even in the first place. Okay, so Hinduism, as you guys believe, it believes in reincarnation. Okay, and it's a worldview of karma you do good, you receive good, you do evil, you would experience evil. But then this poses a problem, okay? By the way, I recommend, uh, if you guys are interested in um, a Christian critique of Hinduism, 
including the problem of evil and justice um there is a book by christopher david he's actually um indian continental india indian he's a christian pastor um he wrote a book uh, a christian evaluation on hinduism um for some of you guys it's in the presuppositional apologetics group he's actually one of the guys that's in there um if you type in christopher david uh hinduism there's a um, there's, a, I think, one or two interviews he's had, but I recommend his book, okay? So the problem is this. How does evil be- exist begin in the first place, okay? And then the problem is also as well, um, Hindus believe in a doctrine called Maya. Anyone know what Maya is? The doctrine of Maya is the idea that everything is an illusion, including evil. So if everything is an illusion, then including what people do in action and people, you know, everything, then therefore evil itself is an illusion, and therefore is meaningless to even talk about also as well. So that's one challenge. Then you remove evil when there's no problem with evil because there's no such thing as evil. But then it goes against our human experience. By the way, once we deny evil, that also often causes a lot of problem because when you say there's no evil, it's not as if evil cease, but evil continue. And you actually enable evil to continue when you trivialize evil or say things like, oh, it does not really exist. Um, with that, and by the way, um, there's been times some of you guys know in my travels, um, in certain part of the world that's a Hindu occupied country, and sometimes it's really sad when you see the explanation of why bad things happen. They will say, "Hey, don't stop someone from causing harm because that person deserve it. If you stop this, that person is not cleansing them from their karma that they have of all this." Okay, let's look at also another worldview of Hinduism. Again, also believing in reincarnation. According to the Buddha's Four Noble Truths, which is one of their canon of beliefs, the cause of suffering is the desire to have and control things such as uh, craving, I'm sorry, I wrote craving, it's actually craving of pleasure. But this causes a dilemma and a problem. When we leave everything behind to achieve, um, do we leave everything behind to achieve nirvana, which is a blissful state of non-existence of some sort, or, or there's philosophical discussions with that. Uh, wouldn't that bring about more suffering and evil? Now, if you guys know the story of Siddhartha, um, the founder, which is a part of the world that, um, just for background a little bit, if you guys know, my mom is actually Buddhist. When she found out that I actually travel, my world travel, have also went to the place where Buddha was born. She was actually pretty upset. Um, but even there, going there to proclaim the gospel. And while I was there, I was just looking, it's like, I just felt like, man, you, there's so much suffering. The beggars look so different than stateside U.S. And, and that's not to downplay things in the U.S. It's to say the problem is so uh, big and vast overseas. If you guys know the story uh Siddhartha, he was a prince traveling. He saw suffering on the road. Um, and when he did, he decided to leave everything. But does that cause more problem, right? When you abandon family, when you abandon your role of, of leading, of government and authority and all these things. Um, and also, I think there's a contradiction. We won't be able to go into this um, in much in depth, but they don't believe in the existence of soul. So how do you then transmit? They don't believe in what is called Atman. They think it's an illusion. Atman is your soul, something that is constant within you all the time. So then how do you then reap what you sow continuously, whether good or bad? And you'll see this in a lot of the literature. They themselves say, yeah, this is a big tension of how do you explain that, okay? How do you say there's a punishment of somebody when then you go on uh, with with this, okay? Um, 
when there's nothing to that's constant that you could say okay you're paying something from your previous life okay and again the big question of course later on for us tonight is atheism do they have a burden of proof okay do they have a burden of proof to even explain that evil truly does exist in the first place okay that evil truly exists in their first place according to their explanation of this world so let's go to the next slide um, so now we go to point number two, evil and the problem of atheism. And what I'm asking for specifically is if they're going to use evil to bash against Christianity, um, and depending how this goes, um, if you guys want, we could also devote more discussion about the problem of evil within Christianity and evil, evil deeds within Christianity. Um, but what I want to look at specifically tonight is even could atheism with their explanation of the world in light of what they say, if what they say is true about the world as they see it in their worldview, does it even allow for evil to exist? Because if they're going to use evil as a club to say, hey, Christianity is so evil, you guys invented a Ku Klux Klan. Some Christians were Ku Klux Klan's member. Some people were crusaders. Some people did this and that and, and everything else oppressed and killed witches and Salem and, and all these things. Then does evil even exist in the first place? Because if it doesn't exist, then it's almost you're hitting somebody with an invisible club that doesn't even hurt. Okay? So atheism, I actually think, undermines the existence of evil. Okay? Um, and I'm going to be quoting here from atheism themselves. Okay? That according to what they say and believe, atheism does not even exist. Okay? Let's go on to the next slide. Okay, um, Bertrand Russell, I'm going to, before I quote him, um, anyone here knows what, who Bertrand Russell is? And by the way, you are recorded. Um, so anyone, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, yeah I'm familiar with him. He's a, he's a linguist, and I think he's like big socialist and an atheist and all that stuff. Yeah, he, he's a crazy guy, but also he is not a dumb guy, okay? Um, if any of you guys ever read Logic Textbook, um, I remember when I was on my honeymoon, I actually took a logic textbook to read for fun and I actually finished it. I read a pre, um, pre-analytic philosophy um, logic textbook, which looks so different than modern textbook. And part of it, one of the person, you, if you ever read logic and, the, and you look at the mathematical formula, it makes it easier for you to understand. You have to thank one person among many. One of the person you thank should be Bertrand Russell. Okay, he was even at one point a professor at UCLA in philosophy, and because of him, and including many others, uh, with the introduction to analytic philosophy, um, it actually made logic much more precise and actually much more formulaic to have. Now, there's good things and bad, but overall, I think there's a net good. Bertrand Russell is a great philosopher. He's a um, correction, great in the world's eyes, but I think when it comes to area religion, man. Scripture is right. People could be so wise, but could be so foolish with it when it comes to the things of God, okay? Um, I'm going to quote from something um, where he's, he, we see here from his book called The Basic Writing of Bertrand Russell, okay? He's very famous for something of one of his um, books is called Why I'm Not a Christian or an Essay. You could look it up. By the way, if you want to go through this critique, I'm, I'm debating whether or not for our purpose of our study, whether we could whether we should go through this, his essay, and refute it together. Um, but if you ever want to see this, you guys could just go to uh, YouTube, type in um, Bertrand Russell and Apologetic Central. Um, Apologetic Central is run by a friend of mine from South Africa. Um, he's actually one of the admins in the Presuppositional Apologetics group where um, I and some of the admins um, went through together refuting that essay. 
um, with that, okay? Um, so I encourage you guys, if you guys want to do that, but I'm debating about whether or not we should do this for the sake of time, because I don't want to be so philosophical to point, um, and I, eventually after our apologetic series, I actually want to go through um, preaching through Psalms, uh, verse by verse, some of the Psalms, selected Psalms, okay? Um, so this is what, what he says, in the value, a world of values, nature in itself is neutral, neither good nor bad, deserving of neither admiration nor censure. It is we who create values and our desires which confer values. So to him, he doesn't think there's actually values which include ethics, mores, and, and, and um, values, right? He doesn't actually think they actually exist outside. He just thinks it's all subjective. It's all in our head, okay? Um, in other words, what we see here um, is... Is you know there is actually in light of this, um, even when you see in his essay, um, I think it's interesting. He thinks there's no such thing as right and wrong; it doesn't matter. But then he'll go in the next part of his essay would say things. You know what? Um, if God is true, how could there be clansmen, right? And he's writing in the 1920s when the clan was a big deal. Okay, um, which I thought was just ironic. And also, hey, you don't have anything to even base upon if you say there's no such thing as right and wrong. Okay. Um, let's go on to the next slide. Okay, so Richard Dawkins. Anyone know who Richard Dawkins is? Before we look, um, go further. Richard, one of, the, one of the big atheists of today. Yeah, um, he wrote a book. How could I forget the name of this book? Oh man, um, the God Delusion. The God Delusion. Yeah, it's a New York Times bestseller for quite a while. Okay, um, he's a British evolutionary scientist. Okay. Um, so Richard Dawkins, um, I actually think he's a very horrible philosopher. Even non-believing philosophers tear him up, um, with that. So this is what he says in, um, according to what he believes. Okay. This is what he says. He's, um, and he's one of the leading new atheists. Okay. I think the fad with him has kind of died down. Um, uh, but he's a professor in Oxford. Okay. So he says, in a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you would won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. Again, this is from Richard Dawkins, um, an Oxford professor. By the way, if you guys know the word meme, he's actually the one that invented that term meme. Okay, But not in the meme of terms of pictures, but memes in the sense of like genes, but in a sociological sense that we pass down various cultural traits um, with that, in, in light of his um, theory of, of, of evolution. Okay, So here, notice here he says what? In the end, the universe ultimately has no evil and no good. Okay? So there is no such thing as good or evil in his worldview. Okay, again, I'm not quoting just a Joe Smicatelli that's walking by. This is Richard Dawkins, one of the leading brights, the so-called name of the cool new atheism today. And also he's an Oxford professor also as well, okay? Um, let's go on to the next slide. Anyone here know who Dan Barker is? Um, for the sake of time, I'm just going to explain who he is. Um, he's one. Of, he's a president of the Freedom from Religious Foundation. 
If you ever hear on the news uh, someone is suing somebody for because there's some religious statute, Ten Commandments, and some state legislature and stuff like that, it's often very likely either the ACLU, the American Center for, oh man, uh, what does the ACLU stand for? Um, I forgot what this stands for. Uh, yeah, thank you. I, I almost say ACLJ. Um, American Center for Law and Justice, sorry. That's a Christian one, okay? And also the other one is Freedom from Religious Foundation, okay? Dan Barker is from is from there um, with that, okay? By the way, he's a guy that was originally from Southern California and he's even a graduate of APU, okay? So this is what he says in his book, Freedom... Um, his book is called Losing Faith in Faith, okay? Um, and I uh, also cite this also from his... Um, from a website that quotes from one of the chapters in his book. He says, there's no more interpreting the cosmos. Cosmos, by the way, is a Greek word for the world, the physical world, okay? Nothing, nobody cares. And nothing cares and nobody cares. What happens to me or piece of broccoli, it won't matter. The sun is going to explode. We're all going to be gone. No one cares, okay? By the way, if you guys uh, go to YouTube and look it up, um, he has a debate. If you type in YouTube, Paul Minata and Dan Barker, okay? Um, he, he has an argument where Pominata, who was a presupposition at the time, asked him, hey, is human being the same value and intrinsic worth as broccolis? And he says, yes. And he asked him, okay, do you eat broccolis? And he says, yes. Um, then you're killing somebody like you're killing a human being. And it's a pretty hilarious debate, okay, with that. Um, it's probably my all-time favorite debate. Pominata is pretty fast um, uh, as a thinker, um, okay? So... Um, so this is what he says uh, with this. Okay, again, this is a guy that's seasoned. He's always debating. He's debated various people, other individual. Doug Wilson, I think. Of, I mean, he's debated a lot of guys. I think the guy that I would give an award that debated perhaps the most presuppositionalist, um, Vantillian presupposition, which I am, is probably Dan Barker. Okay, um, let's go on to the next slide. Um, uh, okay, so another quote of his is this: "Since value, quote unquote, is a concept of relative or." worth and concept as far as we know exists only in brains which are material things it is meaningless even dangerous to talk of cosmic moral absolutes okay so if values which include evil is relative there's no basis for evil to uh barker to bring up about the problem of evil in absolute terms such as he does in his book okay if you read that book he's complaining and whining all the time of various things that is bad and all these things okay um, Dan Barker used to be a youth pastor, and actually he still makes money from making songs. Some of his songs are actually copyrighted, and he actually, in his book, talks about how he still makes money um, from the copyrights, proceeds, and all that stuff. Or, or uh, the publishers still publish the things, you know, from CCLI and stuff like that with that. I think it's pretty funny. Um, or not funny. Uh, I think there's some kind of thing that he had where there's some kind of immorality and faithfulness with his wife, and he just totally walked away from the faith. Um, but it's interesting, he's complaining of all these things, like he doesn't like Christian ethics and monogamy and all these other things and everything else. But, but yeah, at the same time, it's like, hey, if it's individual opinion, hey, what are, you have the basis to complain one person, um, ethics, and another. It's nothing more than a personal preference, right? I don't get upset when you guys eat haagen ice cream, right? Or you, you hate haagen ice cream and someone likes Baskin-Robbins. It's just individual preference. But it's interesting how he does that. So in summary, what I'm trying to say here with this... Uh, and by the way, when I email out this uh, this presentation tonight, so you guys can pray for this, I have a lot of footnote. And WordPress always gives me a nightmare. Mandy knows this of always editing with everything um, cut and paste with that. Um, I have a, bit, a little bit more quotes from him with Dan Barker. Um, but what I'm trying to say is this: as summary, if I could have this illustration, is this: 
We all see evil and we all wear glasses. What is our worldview to look at evil? And in light of what all these atheists says, this is what I think the atheist worldview does when we look at evil. Go on to the next slide. It actually, they blindfold themselves to say, because they don't believe in the existence of evil according to the worldview. Okay, so we ask the question, which lens? Again, because of our sin, we don't see things properly. We all need to wear uh, glasses. Our worldview, glasses, lens, looks and interprets the world. But what the atheist does, of course, we look at the biblical lens, and of course, the atheist will say, hey, you are biased. You're looking at things with, uh, with colored lens. And I'll say, yes, everyone does. But by the way, at least my lens sees evil. Because I believe in my biblical worldview that God says anything that goes against his law is evil and unrighteous and sinful and heinous and wretched and the sinfulness of sin. But in your worldview, you have a blindfold. You don't even believe evil exists. So you're whacking me with an invisible hammer that don't even exist according to your worldview. Okay. So in other words, your worldview is blind to evil. It doesn't even uh, allow for this to even make sense. And by the way, I would even argue it's an evil worldview. In my, whenever people, oh man, what to leave in? I'll, I'll, I'll leave this for now. Maybe there'll be another time during the Q and A, or if we have another session, talking about the problem of evil. I want to even some other time talk about different denominations of atheism and their track record of evil. But let's go on. So, in light of this, I think. Um, before before we go even further, I just want to make this clear um, that atheism uh, is unable to say something's evil, okay? So point number three now I want to go to, um, which is a little bit more brief, is this. If God is the basis for determining good, then there is no problem of evil. I know this is going to be a very bold statement, Um and I don't have as much time, perhaps, to unpack as I would desire. Um, but this thing, if you guys want to look more further, is something called ex lex approach. This is a Latin word for Latin word ex, which is a preposition, and lex, l-e-x, which in Latin is out of the law. Okay? Um, and ex lex approach, the one I'm saying is this. If God is a basis for determining good, and right and wrong, then there is no problem of evil in the Christian worldview. This is a very bold statement that, I'm, that I just made. Let's go on to the next slide. And I actually think what I'm trying to say is this. Um, if this is true, okay? Oh, man, I, maybe I should have... Uh, uh, okay, let me explain this. You guys, see, you guys all know Chuck Norris jokes. Anyone here likes Chuck's Norris joke? We don't have Ben Chung from our church here. But Ben Chung tells me about when he first came to the U.S., he had a history teacher. I always tell Chuck Norris joke. That was how he felt more comfortable in the States and everything else, right? All those Chuck Norris jokes of various kinds. I actually think my argument uh, against atheism is a Chuck Norris argument for the existence of God. And one thing is this. Chuck Norris hears a problem of evil and actually shows it proves God. Now, this is a building upon from last week where I said that you, in order to even have moral categories or anything that's prescriptive, that is things that is involving is or things that ought or ought not or should or should not, you actually need a person and a person of authority. And, and therefore, you actually need God. Okay, So in light of this problem of evil, I actually think the atheists even talk about actually to even make sense of evil needs God. Okay, you even need God to be explained first that there is such thing 
as evil. But moreover, for the purpose of our third point that we see, again, our third point, what I'm trying to say is that if there is a God, then there is actually no problem with evil is this, because the, for Christians, we believe, according to the Bible, right and wrong is determined by one person or one being. What is that? Who is that one being? Rebecca Abigail Hannah. From all your catechism that I've taught you from the Bible, who determines who gives us the rule of what's right and wrong? God. So he defines what is evil. Okay? So um, when God, does God allow evil? Yes or no? Okay? And uh, he, or permits you know, in a way that he's not responsible, right? And we could talk about this another time. Uh, also, like, how does God is not responsible? But in order to say someone is evil, and again, usually sometimes the argument against God is God is evil. And if God is evil for doing these things, therefore, and God's, the Christians say he's good, then therefore contradict, and therefore there is not the existence of Christian God. But don't forget that if God defines what is right and wrong, and he, there is laws that says this, then the question is, where do we get the law that says, God, thou shall not permit evil? Do we have anywhere in the Bible that says, God cannot permit evil from happening? Is there any such laws? No. Okay. So in order to have, the to supply this premise for the problem of evil, to say that evil exists and that God should not, cannot cause evil. And yes, we know God is all good. But then that goes in the next thing is to say, um, where if you say no, if he's good, then how does he? Why does he allow evil? Then the question then is, where is there a premise that is supplied that God, being good, cannot allow other creatures to be contingently evil? Again, not he himself, but the creatures themselves to be contingently evil. Okay, and there really is none of those premises that's supplied. Okay, um, someone that's in the philosophical realm. And done this really well is a guy named Gordon Clark. Okay, so if you type in, do a search, uh, Gordon Clark, the problem of evil solved. Um, there's actually an audiobook of this. If you go, if you type in um, audiobook, you would probably find it on Trinity Foundation for five bucks. Or if you really want it for free, um, let me know because that person that read the book is actually Walter. Some of you guys perhaps know Walter from our church if you've been long enough. Walter is actually a friend of our missionary that we support, Andrew. Okay, so he read that um, uh, book. Okay, so uh, and that's the more philosophical. But if you want a more simple one, I actually recommend Jay Adams. Um, Jay Adams actually has a condensed, more pastoral issue about what this ex-lex approach. Again, there is no premise. If right and wrong really comes from God, and if evil needs God to say this evil, and if God never says, hey, I made a rule where I cannot allow evil of creatures, not he himself, but of creatures to do this, then guess what? Then you really don't have no premise to say, hey, we say, God, you are evil because you break your own law that says you cannot permit evil. By the way, God is different than you and I, okay? Human beings cannot enable this, right? God uh, makes life. He could take life. The you are not God. You cannot just take life. That would be murder, okay? If it's a unmoral, just a... Uh, unjustified self-defense, etc., okay? So here we see God is the one that sets this, and God does not supply that premises where he does not permit evil uh, from happening. And I think this is the approach of Job 38. If you guys could turn with me to Job 38. Um, Job 38, verses 1, okay? Um, just to show you, I actually think Scripture, many verses, um, for instance, in Romans 9, 
okay? Or in Job 38, we'll just look at Job 38 for now. And I'm going to read this out loud for us, okay? Um, Job 38. This is what Job 38, remember context of Job is, Job is suffering. And the book, whole book of Job um, is, why did Job suffer? Job and his friends are asking questions or wondering why his friends think maybe it's because of your sin, Job. And eventually this is God's answer. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkened counsels by word without knowledge? Now gird yourself like loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. And he goes on and gives a series of all these questions that say, You don't even know how... You know, how would you say God is unfair or evil for allowing evil? If there's so many things you can't understand, it's beyond your grasp. And by the way, God does not provide, um, says that he cannot allow evil of contingents of others, Satan, demons, and others to do these things. So you see, I actually think the book of the scripture is not just a philosophical argument, but it's really also God's um, strategy is also an excellent approach. There's no laws, he says, that allows this, okay? Romans 9, 13 to 24 is the same thing. I'm not going to read it for the sake of time. Romans 9, 13 to 14 is even the question of predestination itself, okay? Uh, I don't have time to go over this, but if you guys really want a good book with treatment and dealing with the problem of evil also as well, um, I recommend looking up, Googling Peter Sammons, S-A-M-M-O-N-S, um, and reprobation, which is about predestination. He does a very magnificent job on this, okay? Um, Peter Salmon, some of you guys think, hey, I heard that name before. He's actually um, a guy that we used to have guest speak, um, uh, guest speak at our church before, way back in the day. Um, he was a seminarian, and I was uh, set by the school to be his mentor uh, first year, but he's far exceeded me, obviously, in knowledge. He's gone to do a PhD and is now a professor at the Master's Seminary. Okay, so this is where we, uh, um, with that, so let's go to the next slide. Um, and also, um, and next slide, and I just want to end with this. I'm not going to be able to go through everything. Um, the last point is God uses evil to bring about good. One of the reasons why God is not bad, even though evil happens, is there's a bigger picture. He allows evil to actually bring about good, okay? I'm not going to have time to go over all of this, but some of the things what God does is actually He brings about good. And I think the best way to view it is the mosaic view. Like, you look at one small mosaic. You know how in some church has those kaleidoscopes of all those various colors and pictures? You look at one, you say, whoa, it's bad. But then in the big picture, there's a greater end that He's accomplishing. So in the greater ends is what? It's to make us like Christ, Romans 8.29, right? He allows suffering, all these things, to make us more like Christ, which is a good thing, right? To grow within us in virtue. God allows suffering, actually, to produce hope. Romans 5, 3 to 5. I'm just going to go through the shotgun style just real quick. Romans 5, 3 to 5 says, you know, it, suffering, tribulation is to cause us to have hope. So many times we say, oh, if we have suffering, we pray they don't have suffering so they won't lose hope. But scripture says, if he uses it, actually, to produce hope, okay? To produce hope if they're responding it accurately, okay? It's also sometimes evil is also to keep us have eternal perspective. Second Corinthians 4.17, right? We, some of us are parents. We know that as parents, we can't give our kids everything they want. Even though the kids cry, scream, and think it's the worst thing in the world. Guess what? There's a greater purpose with that, right? So in the same thing, God has eternal perspective. Um, in some of the evils in this world is permitting or, or not allowing 
good to happen to us. So when we have those experiences, we also look more towards God, okay? And He also allows suffering so that we could actually turn towards Him, okay? And also even that we be able to comfort others. Second Corinthians 1, verses 3-7 to is so that we will be able to comfort others. By the way, sometimes the best people that comfort others are those that have suffered, true or not. That they learn to listen. Um, when they go to somebody, um, and when they go through that, and they're not necessarily right away, oh, this one time I had the same thing, but they're listening because they know what it's like. They are able to produce tears along with them. Okay, So God uses evil to bring about good. Okay, um, with that. And of course, the greatest good, the worst evil morally that has ever happened in God's cosmic world, in terms of if there's ever any evil done to someone that the most least deserving of bad things that happen in all of cosmic history, you know who that person was? Was actually Jesus Christ. He was not only sinless, but he was also God himself becoming man. And that was an evil thing. Acts 2 talks about that's an evil thing that men does, but God predestined. Why? So that He would save people out of that a greater good to save others. And I want to make this point clear too. All of us, if we say, hey, let's God solve the problem of evil, everyone that's evil, punish them right now. Man, I don't know if I really want to pray that prayer request because <laughs> you and I will go down to hell because of that. But God in His grace, when He still allows this out of His forbearance and long-suffering and patience, is actually to save humanity, to save people. So even when we see this, hey, we don't want to get what we deserve, um, what is just, because we will all go to hell. But therefore, how much more should we preach the gospel and trust in the gospel? So there is a goodness of God even with that. Much more we talk about um, with that. And you guys, in sermon audio, I've gone over various times. Um, if you just search through that of the many purposes God has of evil and that will be in the PowerPoint presentation um, that will lo- create that PowerPoint in the um, outlines when we email it out tomorrow morning okay let me stop here at this point um, any questions